There are dozens of genre film festivals around the world, and we either can't afford or don't have the time to go to any of them, or we've been locked down so we couldn't possibly go to them. We're guessing a lot of you are in the same boat, so on Cinema Smorgasbord Presents Cinema Fantastica, we pick one of these festivals, a year in which it ran, and choose two films that played at that festival to battle against each other. On this very special holiday episode, we're heading to the 2016 edition of the Vinox Christmas Film Festival in Berlin, Germany. We're pitting the Canadian anthology horror film A Christmas Horror Story against the 2016 Christmas slasher Good Tidings. So let's begin. Welcome to Cinema Fantastica, a trip through time and space to the genre film festivals around the globe. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is Mr. Liam O'Donnell. But today, we are not friends, Liam. We are enemies, as we are tasked with pitting two genre film classics against one another (laughs) in a battle to see who reigns supreme. How you doing today, Liam? I'm pretty good, Doug. How are you? Are you feeling in the holiday spirit, Liam? You know, I am more than I was because we finally decorated. Um, ah. We had to get a tree. Like, And by say get a tree, I mean acquire a fake tree. <laughs> uh, and then we, we, we you know, we own a, f- a fair amount of Christmas decorations. So we got them all up, and that made me feel very uh, in the spirit of the time. But funny enough, my daughter Maeve, who was really the catalyst to get us to decorate because we're, we're kind of slackers, and so we probably wouldn't have gotten sure. it done without mm-hmm. her really pushing it. As soon as we finished, was like, okay, now what about the outside decorations? <laughs> and it occurred to me, I don't have any outside decorations. <laughs> I just never invested in any. And so um, I'm kind of between. It's like we're, we're heading towards Christmas, but I'm not there yet because I haven't put up, I don't know, a, a blown plastic Santa Claus or something. I don't I don't know what I want to put outside. Lights, I guess. I don't I don't know. It's, it, you know, it, it's just never something I've really thought too much about. And now that I am thinking about it, I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. And it, in our where we live right now. I, you know, I was pretty impressed with people's Halloween decorations. Sure. But people have really gone crazy with it for Christmas. So I'm like, well, whatever we do is not going to be that. So how much, how willing am I to waste my money on this thing? Were you a big Christmas guy growing up, Liam? We don't really talk about your childhood very much. And I feel like that's intentional. And I'm not trying to pick at a sore spot here. But did you enjoy Christmas growing up? Yeah. Yeah. You're always trying to pick at my scabs here, Doug. Yeah. I no. know. Right? Let's <laughs> uh, dig yeah, deep. Well, okay. Yeah, yes. Yes and no. So, like, uh, my vibe uh, as a kid was very pro-Christmas, very stoked on Christmas. But I sure. think that was part of the problem. The way that my mom describes it is, like, that I would get so wound up, but that by the time we were actually at Christmas Eve, I had burned myself out on Christmas, and I was kind of like a jittery, nervous mess. Interesting. You know? um, and, and I think that that's fair. I, I think that's a fair description from her. I don't think she's being, you know, excessive or anything like that. I think the reality is I don't think I'm alone in that. I think we, you know, uh, excuse me yet again to our listeners for me to be mildly churchy here, right? But Oh, boy. But the way Christmas <laughs> works in the the church right is like all this time leading up to the day we call christmas this isn't christmas this is advent right and you're supposed Mm. to be preparing yourself for christmas and it's actually kind of somber because you're actually thinking about sort of the 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 situations in your life into which you wish 
God would appear, right? If Christmas is, you know, uh, metaphorically or literally, depending on your belief system, about God being born into the world, then in Advent you think about, well, here's all the horribly dark places that if light would suddenly show up in a manger, my life would be less shitty. That's what you're supposed to be thinking about. And instead, as a culture... As soon as Thanksgiving ends, we all start jerking off to toys and mm. presents. Mm-hmm. And it's so over the top. And every Christmas movie is not about what Christmas actually is, which is like yet another reminder that for the last 2,000 years, God hasn't been bothered to be born again in the world. That like it's a reminder like, oh, yet another year where we just have to do this shit on our own. <laughs> that's That's kind of what Christmas actually is. Instead, we fill the culture with all these images of like now is the one time a year where good things could actually happen and so we put so much stuff on it that for me as a kid there's no way there's there's not a single as much as i loved christmas my entire life growing up there is no christmas i can remember that was not disappointing (laughs) every single one was a giant (laughs) disappointment because there's too much pressure on it there's too much i'm gonna get the perfect present right have the perfect family time i'm gonna have the perfect fucking cookies the perfect eggnog and that's and and in a way i think for a lot of people that's why they hate christmas a lot of people who hate christmas hate it because it's not chris it's not as good as we're told it should be but i don't think the actual sort of holiday which is like by the way, barely a Christian holiday, right? It's just sort of an absorption of a bunch of pagan traditions, right? Sure. But for what it is, it's not. Ne- it's supposed to be the 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 fire in the midst of winter, right? The thing that keeps you warm, the thing that makes it easier to get through. Not the only day of the entire calendar year where maybe a miracle could happen. That's like just a little too much pressure, I think. And uh, you combine that with our general tilt towards consumerism, of which. I am a huge, I mean, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone else. Since I was a kid, I've been obsessed with stuff. And, uh, you know, even if I got the stuff I wanted, I was never as stoked on it as I thought I would be. That's just the reality, you know? So uh, I have this weird relationship now where I went through a brief period of hating Christmas, like really hating it. And now I'm back to like, it's fun. I'm just not going to pretend like because it's Christmas, we're going to be, everything's going to be perfect. Now, my family is pretty good, but I, I you know, I think that's part of where the depression around Christmas comes from is like you're supposed to be happy. And if you're not, it's your fault and not Christmas's fault. Liam, you're kind of like Linus. And okay. I'm like a combination of Charlie Brown and Pigpen. <laughs> what do you think about that? I mean, I have waited in my yard for the Great Pumpkin every year. <laughs> and yet... And yet that fucking pumpkin. No, you're dropping you're dropping some hard truths, Liam. That's what it's about. Linus, he's the guy, he'll drop those truths. And also he'll get kind of weirdly uncomfortably religious, just like you do. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> I like I, I actually do think of myself as uncomfortably religious because I think um I'm not religious enough to make religious people feel comfortable, but I'm too religious for not religious people. Yeah. That's like a fun space to be in. I want to uh-huh. be that I want to be that guy where if I'm ever talking about anything that means anything to me, everyone is uncomfortable. I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, you're kind of old testament, Liam, and I appreciate that. Stop. I, I'm here. Come on. <laughs> I'm you motherfucker. I'm, this is the time of the year in which I appreciate the things in my life that I... I mean, look, this was a tough year, Liam. I mean, th- we Very should feel tough. a little bit like we're summing things up because this will likely be our last episode of the year 2020. And it's been the first year of Cinema Smorgasbord. And, you know, there's been rocky moments, uh, not just in the podcast, but also the entire world, uh, I think it's safe to say, throughout the year 2020. And I feel I want to say that I appreciate you 
Aww. and how much I appreciate our listeners, whoever they may be and wherever they may be in the world. And I'm getting a little like soppy, Liam, because even though you feel like Christmas is a crock of shit, I think that's what the summary of what you just said sure. is. Uh, I do feel like it's a it's a time of reflection, and I do think it's an opportunity to pause and take a step back and really gain a little bit of perspective on the year that has just passed and hope for better things in the future. That is not to say that things are going to immediately change on uh, on December thirty first and that twenty twenty one is going to be brightness and and light, Liam. But I do have hopes of positivity for the year ahead. I mean, sure, whatever, that's fine. <laughs> Liam, we're not here to talk about positivity or reflection. We're here to talk about horror movies. <laughs> yeah, we're here to talk about movies designed to make Christmas less fun. <laughs> or more fun, depending on the kind of person no, you No, that's you fair, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Liam, what is fun about this is the festival that we're here to talk about, Liam, which is the Vinox Film Festival in Berlin, Germany. And I apologize for my pronunciation there. I only took one semester of German at university. But that translates, Liam, to Christmas. It's a Christmas film festival. Isn't that exciting? Yay. Feels like it'd be kind of a limited thing. Like, how much Christmas shit could there be? But they apparently have found uh, quite a lot of it, enough to support a film festival since the year 2016. And Liam... That's what we're covering here. The very first, as far as I can tell, uh, Weinox uh, Film Festival in Berlin, Germany, celebrating the best in Christmas movies. Um, so I'm just going to go through a little bit of the history here. Now, this is translated from German, but it's on the Film Freeway website, so we have to take it as gospel truth. Hey, gospel. Uh, Christmas Film <laughs> Festival Berlin presents the Christmas theme in all its wonderful and curious varieties. National and international feature films and short film programs bring a new light to the old-fashioned Christmas subject. Unconventional Christmas movies come to the foreground. Next to comedies, also critical, tragic, satirical, and scary movies are part of the program. Knowing that Christmas time polarizes many people, it is still worth to embrace the heartily spirit of Christmas. In the dark season of the year, the cinema turns into a magical place that makes you think, touches you, and sometimes cast a smile on your face. The Christmas Film Festival Festival <laughs> is for those who want to escape the Christmas rush or do not have their loved ones around. And of course, passionate cinephiles. Let us take a fresh look at the usually rather traditional Christmas time. So Liam, it seems to me that it isn't just a festival for Christmas movies. It's particularly about kind of offbeat Christmas themed movies. Yeah, I was going to say, when you said originally, like, you think they'd run out of material. If this was a Hallmark Christmas festival, they would never (laughs) run out of material. It would be ongoing forever, especially if it was Hallmark and Lifetime. Then it was just, you know. But I do think it's interesting to have a Christmas festival where it seems as if they've specifically chosen to ignore what one could call the Christmas industrial complex. You know what I mean? Like, there, there is... There is a massive industry of Christmas films that fulfill a certain role, and this festival ignores those films while still featuring Christmas. That seems interesting and creative to me, even if my bias is to think that's probably a lot of Christmas horror movies. Yeah, you know which what I mean? is fine, right? It, 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 yeah. You say that, Liam, but I'm just looking through the list of films that they played in the year 2016, and there is kind of a variety here. It isn't all just horror, even though that's the two films that we're going to be covering today. Now, this isn't a massive festival. It's not like it runs for weeks and weeks like the like like, like Midnight Madness at TIFF or Fantastic Fest or things like that. This is three days, at least in 2016 it was, covering 
Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and Boxing Day, Liam. It's interesting that they're going to be running movies all day. I guess things work a little bit different in Berlin. Hey, that was kind of a, um, uh, uh, I guess you could call it a tradition in the Tilly household, is that my wife and I on Christmas Day would go watch movies in the theater and just avoid the family things all day long. Of course, we won't be doing that this year because we don't want to die of a horrible disease. But uh, it's interesting, Liam, that it runs over those Christmas holidays. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And for me, even though I, I made a big deal out of Christmas, you know, when I got a little older and my mom didn't feel like putting the work in, we had some time to kill. Spending time with friends or going to the movies, you know, pre-pandemic seemed like a great way to spend the holidays, you know. Um, so I, the idea that, like, especially if you're in Berlin, I don't know if I would travel internationally for this. But yeah. if I lived in town, why not go? Especially since a lot of the screenings are at night still. I would love to go and spend the evenings. You know, uh, a lot of your family stuff is during the day anyway. Why not, when you're done family stuff, head on out, go do some Christmas movies? You know, when it comes to this festival, Liam, ich bin ein Berliner. Mm, Wow, that's really fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) So some of the other movies that played in the 2016 festival was uh, the 2013 documentary Jingle Bell Rocks, which is about uh, unusual and underappreciated alternatives to traditional Christmas tunes. That's a documentary that uh, that, uh, actually... Involves people like John Waters, Dr. Demento, and Joseph Revron Simmons, uh, as well as All the Best, a Croatian movie, a, a Christmas tale with singing and poisoning. That looks like it might lean closer to the horror side of things. There's a Chinese documentary called Father Christmas about uh, people making Christmas decorations in festivals. It sounds really depressing. There's Problemski Hotel, a Belgium movie, um, which also looks maybe it's like a drama um, Honestly, the, the summary doesn't really tell me what it's necessarily about. I believe it's adapted from a book. But the the I think the crux of a lot of this festival, Liam, are the collections of short films from around the world, which makes sense, right? I mean, it's hard probably to fill it out otherwise. But I think it's safe to say that two of the biggest films that were shown there are the two films that we're going to be covering Today, and when I say biggest, I mean that they're presented as sort of the main events of each of uh, two of the three nights that uh, that the festival takes place. So I think that we, in terms of the movies that we chose here, I think they're fairly apt, even if it isn't necessarily the time of year that people want to talk about horror and violence and bloodletting and whatnot. I don't think that's true, actually. I would say just after Hallmark movies, the number one industry of Christmas movie is actually horror films. I feel like that's only been the case over the last few years, even though there's obviously some very notable Christmas-themed horror movies throughout the 1980s. I mean, your Gremlins and your right. Silent Night, Deadly Night, and your Christmas Evil, and your Elves, and your etc. I'll, agree, I'll agree to the last few years, if by the last few years you mean the last decade yes yes every year for the past decade which is long enough for it to be a trend there has been christmas horror movies of varying degrees of good and if you look at like christmas movies coming out while there are christmas movies every year they tend to fall into the hallmark or hallmark adjacent category Mm. or horror and the middle of the road where you would say well this is a hollywood production that is not a cheesy whatever and it's not for kids but it is a movie set on christmas that's about christmas those are actually maybe one a year probably less whereas you know since 2010 we're at two to three maybe even four some years christmas themed horror movies a year it's a lot see i think i do think that you're still a little off on the numbers there simply because honestly it's it's on both cases there's there's dozens of christmas horror movies probably being made every year 
ultra low budget, micro budget, sure, uh, right, right, awful right, right. horror movies. Just like there's probably a lot of like inspiring, uh, you know, kids based Christmas movies that you'll find on like Tubi or you know you'd find in Redbox if that's still a thing that exists. You know, just really low budget stuff that is meant to scratch an itch or just be playing in the background every year. I bet there's all sorts of that kind of inspiring, you know, children uh, discover the meaning of Christmas type movies that still come out. They're just probably under our radar. Yeah, that's probably true. There's a lot of, but I I think the the sorts of movies that are not big budget, but we still hear about them. Like both yeah. of these movies, I knew about these movies before we did this. Sure, I didn't know they played this festival, but I had heard <laughs> of both films uh, pretty regularly. Um, there just seems to be more and more of those than than uh, ever before. And so when we, you know, well, we're going to cover this Christmas festival. Before you even looked up the movies, I knew we would be covering horror movies. Right. Because my assumption is that, okay, you're not showing Hallmark stuff, then it's going to be horror movies. Because, like, for example, like, you know, I don't think we're you're going to have, like, uh, the happiest season at this festival. You know what I mean? Like, I think the few bigger Hollywood Christmas family movies don't play film festivals. Like, the, the film festival level Christmas movie is probably going to be horror a lot of times. Right, right. It feels like kind of rare exports is like the zero right. hour, like like it's like the starting point for this entire festival existence, even though it came out a few years before the festival even apparently started. Uh, Liam, for this episode, I am going to be covering 2015's A Christmas Horror Story. What are you going to be talking about? Well, Doug, <laughs> I, I will be doing 2016's Good Tidings. A.K.A. Blood Tidings. I guess it was released as under that title elsewhere. Blood Tidings? Yeah. It's, it kind of stretches the, uh, the, the pun to its breaking point. Liam, let us take a break. When we return, I, listeners, am going to be bringing you 2015's A Christmas Horror Story. We're trapped down here, and there's a psychopath on our loose. Bring the changeling back to the forest. That ain't your son. Did you not see what he did? The atmosphere here in Bailey Downs is truly grim this holiday season. It's the war on Christmas. Interwoven stories that take place on Christmas Eve as told by one festive radio host. A family brings home more than a Christmas tree. A student documentary becomes a living nightmare. A Christmas spirit terrorizes and Santa slays evil. It's a Christmas horror story from the year 2015. A Canadian anthology horror movie uh, with three directors, Liam. Uh, The three directors are Grant Harvey who uh, was second unit on the original Ginger Snaps and uh, directed 2004's Ginger Snaps The Beginning. Stephen Hoban, uh, who uh, produces a lot of Canadian television, and also uh, directed Ginger Snaps 2. And, um, oh, sorry, he produced Ginger Snaps 2 and Ginger Snaps The Beginning. And uh, and also Beyond Skyline, directed by the other Liam O'Donnell. What do you think about that, Liam? Yeah, what up, Liam? <laughs> and Brett Sullivan, who did direct Ginger, Bear, uh, Ginger Snaps 2, 
uh, and was the editor on the original Ginger Snaps. And all three of these guys are involved in television to some extent. Also has a variety of writers, mostly who worked on the television show Darknet, which, which I guess was also an anthology horror TV series. I don't know much about it. I guess it was all made in Canada. Uh, has a very interesting cast if you're a fan of Canadian movies or television, Liam, including William Shatner as the uh, dangerous Dan DJ. Um, and uh, a lot of familiar faces for me. Maybe not as much familiar faces to you, but we'll talk about that as we go through it. Liam, I have a complicated relationship with anthology movies anyway. I think a lot of people do. It's very hard to find one that's consistent all the way through. What did you think of A Christmas Horror Story? I <laughs> I think the weakest part of this movie for me is the fact that it doesn't lean in to being an anthology movie. That as the movie goes, instead of like really putting it out there like, hey guys, this is an anthology, it just presents a variety of stories occurring at the same time that it's only up to you to realize at the end of the film are entirely unrelated in every possible way. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a bit of a bummer because I've seen plenty of movies that operate the same way where they somehow do connect. Now, granted, that also can be done terribly, and it could have been even worse if they were connected. But, uh, you know, I don't mind anthology movies. I don't mind... You know, yes, anthology movies are kind of made by their wraparound, but getting around the... the, the uh, Achilles heel that is the wraparound by basically not having a wraparound in a way, you know, just yeah. having three different stories is not a strong look. And then you add on to that that uh with these stories, none of them were particularly compelling to me, I guess, in a way the William Shatner slash uh Father Christmas story that is only revealed to be connected at the very end. Um that one at least uh it had a certain level of like, uh, uh, like creative fucked upness that I was like, oh, okay, sure. yeah, yeah, I get that. That's cool, whatever. Um, but the other two stories just weren't anything for me. Uh, and one of them <laughs> there mustn't be Liam because there's actually three other stories. <laughs> what was the other one? Uh, so, so there's there's, there's the, the family whose uh, son gets switched when they're going out to get a Christmas tree. Oh, that's the one I forgot. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Okay, so I found the changeling story to be fine um it's fine it's not it's i wouldn't be mad at it otherwise it's just it is what it is sure it's not super compelling to me i found the catholic school abortion possession whatever was going on in that story to be uh dumb from top to bottom yes despite it having a few moments that were more effectively scary than the other and i found the krampus story though having some pretty cool people getting attacked with chains action overall to be shitty top to bottom as well and that was the most underbaked one too there's just nothing to it there's just nothing there it's not a it's it if you read it in an anthology comic book you'd be bummed you know what i mean like it's just there's nothing to it really the the most thought seemed to go into this father christmas story even though i don't what I don't like about that story is the sort of like, oh, he's actually crazy. Oh, my yeah, God. I know. That, that move is a dumb move, but it took more thought than any of these other ones, which just felt very light. And only the Changeling, and I think the Changeling one was only compelling for me because of the family. I thought the family was like, you know, there were some layers there, and I like yeah. what's going on or whatever. And the kid, you know, I tend to 
be as skeptical as kid actors as anyone else. You know, all the kid has to do is be unnerving, and he's pretty good at being unnerving. You know, I think so, absolutely. So yeah. I, I think those two are are relatively strong for a pretty low bar in the first place. So the fact that the bar is so low, and two of the four are just nothing they might as well not exist it's like a real bummer to me especially because you were saying about the familiarity of the actors i didn't feel that way at all i didn't recognize a lot of these people <laughs> except for zoe de grand misson <laughs> yeah no that's probably not how you say her name but i do recognize her from uh, a number of other projects including riverdale uh, where she's one of the cult people, you know. I, nope, and I like her. In that. I don't know. <laughs> and and I think she's done some other TV. What was the other thing I saw on her IMDb that I know? Anyway, I mean, it's all it's all Canadian stuff. So I mean, or filmed in Canada stuff. So a lot of these people were on like Orphan Black. A lot of these people. Oh, yep. Were, I remember yeah. her from Orphan Black. Well, Anyways, she. I remember her from a number of different things, and so it was like, oh, great. And then she's in my least favorite of the stories, and can't <laughs> she can't save it? Right? There's nothing she can do to make this thing more interesting. For me, a lot of the actors in this are very familiar because of their Canadianness, particularly George Buza, who plays Santa Claus uh, or the deranged potential Santa Claus in this movie, who has been in so much Canadian stuff. But I always think of him as the uh, overgrown son from the TV series Maniac Mansion in the late 80s with Joe Flaherty. Um, but uh, I'm not going to fixate on the Canadianness of it, though this is a very, very Canadian movie in a lot of ways. I think I agree with you, Liam, on all. Of your feelings of, of how the different different stories kind of rack up against one another. In some ways, like I always think in anthology uh, movies, could these individual stories support a longer movie? Or are they too long in the form that they are, right? Like some of them are overpacked with ideas. Some of them don't have enough. I'm really confused with the Krampus one in particular, simply because it feels like there should be more there and there just isn't. Uh, it, it, it just kind of jumps into the Krampus action. I do have to say, I like how Krampus looks in this movie. I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's a really cool kind of makeup. Uh, and I think anyone coming away from this will probably... I would, if you're the kind of person to watch a movie called The Christmas Horror Story, you'll probably enjoy the Santa Claus killing murderous elves one the most. Simply because it's just a gore fest for the most part. And it does have that ending that at least has some sort of... I mean, cleverness isn't really the word, but what I should say is that that's the kind of one that would fit into a traditional horror anthology, right? It has that kind of weird twist yeah. at the end and and feels more like a Tales from the Crypt-y type stuff. I do have to say, I'm a little surprised to say this because I've, I'm really off him as a uh, person and actor, but Shatner, I think, is really good in his uh, his DJ stuff. But this would traditionally be like the guy who introduces each segment. But the, yeah. as we've already kind of hinted at this, all of these segments are interconnected, and the problem with that is that all the setup happens at the same time, and then all the climaxes happen at the same time. And it's a really weird thing to cut from like the biggest moment of one and then switch to the biggest moment of another. You're basically interrupting the major action of something in the second half of the movie. Liam, do you think this movie would have been better, and I've seen this in several reviews for it, if they separated them out and just had Shatner introduce each one of them? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of what I'm angling towards with it being a traditional anthology. Uh, plus, um, it, it could be the sort of anthology that Trick or Treat is. You know? Right. Trick or Treat, everything exists in the same world, everything is connected, everything is sort of a part of the same texture, but there are clear separations and storylines where you're invested in what's happening at that one moment. In this film, 
part of what was going on for me is I wanted them to be connected so that the weaker parts would matter. <laughs> and, and, and then it would make more sense. And instead, like you described, everything is so chopped up that sometimes you're only with a story for a very brief moment yeah. and not mm-hmm. enough for you to even care about what's happening in that moment. So there, it ends up creating a barrier between the viewer and actually caring about the actions that are happening. I think that it is meant to establish at the beginning, though, they didn't do a very good job, that weird things happen at Christmas in this town, right? So all of these things are happening around the same time, if not simultaneously, in this town, which is why, you know, it's the thing that kind of ties them all together. And there is one other thing that ties them together, which is that the father in the Changeling uh, segment is... In one of the other, sorry, is in one of the other segments as well as a cop that gets traumatized by something that he experiences. Did you catch up on that? Did you pick up on that? But there's no further, like, there's no, right. absolutely. In fact, even in his segment, he doesn't mention the fact that he had to, uh, that he had to take time off for PTSD or whatever. If there was some resonance beyond that. So, like, again, it, I think a good comparison would be trick or treat. It, this film is trying to be trick or treat in that these different stories are separate, but they're all interwoven. But in reality, there's no significant impact from one story to another in the whole movie. And I don't know why that is, because I don't think it would be that hard, especially because what I'm not hoping for is a deep connection. It could be trivial and silly. But none of it, it – it should at least matter, though, and that doesn't happen, and it ends up making it uh, feel more distracted than engaging. I think it's because this was not conceived in a way where everything would interweave, and, I, and that goes as far as the fact that there are three directors here. I've never heard of a movie with three directors where the, their plots interweave at, at kind of random moments throughout. It actually must have been a nightmare to kind of put together and edit, and it kind of feels that way when you're watching it because sometimes things just stop, and like you said, it'll cut to one of the other stories for two minutes and then go back to a third story. Yeah, it, it makes for a really frustrating watch. That said, Liam, I can't say that I hated it or even disliked it. The things I liked in it, I liked quite a bit. It actually had uh, a bit of higher production value than I was kind of expecting. Uh, And it does deliver on violence. Now, I know that, Liam, we are grown men. Violence does no longer, (laughs) I should say, violence no longer just does it for us. But I, uh, you know, going back to that, the segment about Santa Claus killing all the elves, that one does sort of deliver on what it's supposed to be, which is just this kind of massacre uh, and and it's also the most colorful of all of these segments, which I think is a weird thing to say, but the rest of them all seem kind of drained of color. So it was the one that I think was the most kind of fun to watch. What was it about the segment with the students investigating the Catholic school murders that you found uh, the worst of the bunch? There's, It seems weirdly conservative around... Uh, sexuality and um, obviously abortion is part of it and uh, a very inconsistent idea around how possession works why possession is happening like what is even the goal here Um, and what uh, I don't know it it, it just it, it, it felt also it doesn't necessarily feel I guess in the sense that um, this is possibly the uh, 
conception of the Antichrist, maybe? I, I think For there's some a suggestion reason. of it. So I guess that's Christmassy, but overall, it's not Christmassy at all. Um, especially since not only is our uh, main character, uh, or not like main, but our female character, you know... Um, sexualized in the in the movie for the plot she has to be wearing a, a mini skirt <laughs> for the plot to even work the way that they've written it and i i'm wondering like i guess this is set in california is no one cold <laughs> like what's happening yeah, right <laughs> which it's not right because there's snow yeah and remember it's all supposed to take place in the same town and we see that right. family get their right. christmas tree in a very snowy area yeah um so is this is she not cold why is she wearing this and but she has to be for the movie to work and anyways the point is is that it's not very engaging the mythology of it doesn't seem to work uh it has a couple of scares here and there but a lot of it is her apparently being possessed by a naughty catholic schoolgirl and seducing one of her friends <laughs> after she murdered the other friend i, I don't know it it's it's confused in a way, and and it has sort of a reek of like feeling bad about sex uh, that I just didn't I didn't like it. It, it. And also, not only that, take it back even more. It's the least visually engaging. It's really clear to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but I suspect that the person who directed that segment did not direct the Father Christmas killing elves segment. I think those are visually very different exactly. in a way that's yeah. like almost distracting. It, it feels yeah. like this segment is inserted from a different movie. Yeah, it it does. It absolutely feels like it's inserted from a different movie. And just to 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 reiterate what you were saying about it feeling somewhat conservative. I mean, look, I don't want to spend too much time on it. We might be reading it completely wrong, but there is a tossed off line about how you can't display. Um, a nativity scene because of the war on Christmas. And it's said in a way that seems to be serious, even though that's an extremely comical and ridiculous thing to say, <laughs> particularly in a Canadian fucking movie. Uh, but uh, I mean, I honestly it would be as ridiculous in an American one, but, but just the idea of a Canadian writer, even writing that to me is just, I don't know. I don't know what it's supposed to represent about the character. Maybe, you know, this kind of goes back to what we were saying before, just because the character says it doesn't mean it reflects the writer's but uh, writer's intentions. But um, but what? Why would that be in the movie otherwise? It's, just it's a very weird. Strange it's thing. a weird placement. Um, I do want to talk just briefly about the Krampus segment, simply because it, it's the one that I think we're going to give the least amount of attention to. As I mentioned, there isn't much to it. It's just about a family going to visit, I guess, an old aunt, and uh, when they're there, they're acting terribly because they're just bickering and. They leave, get into a car crash, and then they get attacked by Krampus, who uh, we find out is attacking them because they've all been very naughty that year. One of them, I guess the daughter, has been stealing things, and the son has been murdering animals, which feels like a really large dichotomy in terms of the, the amount of shitty things they've been doing that year. And the father's been bad, do, been doing some bad business investments, and I don't know why the mother has to die. Uh, Liam, can you talk about this segment in any other way outside of the fact that Krampus looks cool and his family seem lame? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, they basically make Krampus the Wendigo, right? Yes. You know? Um, in that people, uh, um, people who have anger in their hearts uh, become Krampus, whether they wanted to or not, and then they, you know, murder bad people. Or I guess that there's a lot. There's there's a lot of what feels like 
mythology that needs to be explained that's very casually discussed. Yeah. And all of the performances are so surface that, like, outside of the kid, who's clearly a piece of shit, every negative revelation from these characters feels kind of out of nowhere. Now, part of the function of this might be, Doug, we don't get a lot of time with these people outside of them being murdered by Krampus. You know what I mean? Like, they're in the car briefly. They're interacting with the ant briefly. All of these scenes are written very poorly. And then, bada bing, bada boom, big naked white Krampus is trying to murder them. You know what I mean? And like, okay, cool. But, you know, unless you're just stoked on hot Krampus action, there's just nothing else here. And then the big reveal, which is very much done in a style that's like, look how witty I am. You thought it was this, but it's actually this. It's like, a, it'd be like if you're in a room of a bunch of people and suddenly someone goes, it was the Ace of Hearts. And no one knows what the fuck they're talking about. That's how this felt. Like, you're assuming with all this other shit going on in this movie that I'm invested in knowing why Krampus is here. And I'm not. I'm not invested at all. And then when the girl becomes Krampus to take revenge on the ant, it's just like, can we move on, please? Like, what I, you know, yeah. what's happening with the changeling kid? Like, I, there's just, I, I, it never really engages me enough that I care about what's happening. Other than, again, the visuals around the Krampus stuff is pretty cool but if that's all we're gonna do if that's the the actual value of this segment then less talking and more krampus just have yeah. krampus kill people that's fine i do like that the movie does deliver what's on the poster and on the cover of the dvd sure which is a fight between santa claus and krampus and it's done i think in a pretty neat way i mean it's almost like a martial arts fight to a certain extent but that's cool especially because it's all supposed to be a kind of a fantasy sequence anyway and that is the kind of thing even though it's extremely silly and very goofy like i like a movie that delivers on its promise of something like that because another or a lesser movie probably would have just put that on the cover simply because the movie includes those two things and then never have it actually play out in the movie proper so i'll give it credit for that, and I do think that's a pretty cool sequence overall. But I think Liam, I, we our opinions on this movie match up almost exactly. I was disappointed by a Christmas horror story simply because, as with a lot of anthology movies, most of the segments are just not that good, and the ones that are good, they're not as clever as they think they are, uh, and that's always a frustrating thing to to view. That said, I do think that there's worthwhile material here. I do think it's just all feels a little under baked. There's just not enough interesting ideas here to support the movie and i also think that this movie would be a lot less frustrating to watch if the segments were separated as opposed to interwoven like they've done here yeah i you know i'm willing to forgive any anthology one segment you know yeah like Mm -hmm. like there's always going to be a bad one but uh even the good ones here are comparatively good for me uh, and would be the weaker segments in other anthologies so you know, it's it's not the worst thing I've watched or anything like that. It's just overall, you know, it just kind of washed over me and I was ready to forget about it. You know, knowing that Michael Doherty made Trick or Treat and then made Krampus and that he's looking to make Trick or Treat 2, he should make a Christmas anthology horror film instead. I agree. That's That's an idea I'm throwing out into the world. That's the one that we're all looking for here. But instead of seeing that, Liam... We are going to take another break, and when we return, you're going to tell me about the 2016 Psycho Santa's Demolishing Homeless People British horror movie, Good Tidings. What do you think about that? Yay! Yay! Let's take a break. We'll be right back. 
homeless war veteran with a checkered past must rely on a side of himself once thought buried when he and his companions are targeted by three vicious psychopaths wearing Santa suits on Christmas Day. It's 2016's Good Tidings, directed by Stuart W. Bedford. Um, his only feature, uh, also written by Stuart W. Bedford, uh, uh, as well as co-written with Giovanni Gentile. And Stu Joppia, uh, who also, to uh, Giovanni and Stu, play two of the creepy Santas, the murderous Santas, Larry and Curly. That's right, the Santas are named after the Three Stooges. It's one of many witty, clever aspects of Good Tidings that I'm sure everyone is going to love, <laughs> uh, starring Colin Murtag, Murtaugh? Murtag? Probably Murtaugh, I would say. Yeah, Murtaugh. Uh, Liam W. Ashcroft. What up? Same name. No, I got to murder you. A, a variety of lesser known folks. Let's say that. And I believe the the three stooges who are the Santa the Santa Clauses, Claus I, the Santa Claus I of the film, uh, were also the three producers of the film, which I thought was interesting as well. Yeah, but interesting. Before we get into any more <laughs> details about that, I just want to know from you, Doug, raw, upfront, your take. I know you've been sitting on it. How did you feel about this shocking, powerful <laughs> Santa Claus and uh, home scarcity drama, Good Tidings? I didn't like it very much. <laughs> uh, and the problem with it... Now, this movie is obviously extremely low budget, much more uh, limited in budget uh, than even A Christmas Horror Story was. And it's obviously also have been, uh, has been built around this location that was available to the filmmakers. And you know what? I read in some reviews that it's like, when you have a location, don't write your movie around it. Write the movie you want to make and then find the location. And I'm telling you right now, as someone who's interviewed many micro-budget filmmakers, that's not realistic. The realistic thing to do is, if you have a location, write your movie around it because that is the production value you have. And I really do appreciate that that's what they've done here. And this movie feels a lot more professional in some ways because they have what is obviously a very cool and very unique location to shoot in it. I guess it's like courtrooms and a whole like office section. I mean, it makes the movie feel a little bit more expansive than it would. And this is at its heart a siege movie. It's a movie about a collection of homeless people who are basically uh, you know, staying in this building without permission, but it, it, they are humanized and given a little bit of dimension. And then these three psychopaths in Santa suits are just let loose on them. And it's sort of a, I think some people compare it to like Assault on Precinct 13, which I know is not a very uh, kind comparison to this movie, but it gives you an idea of the kind of movie that we're talking about or um, or The Strangers or something like that. So, so that's what we're dealing with here. The problem is kind of twofold. One is that the setup takes like, 
20 minutes, which is no time at all. Uh, so you barely get to know any of these characters and what they're all about. And then the 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 attacks from the Santa Clauses, they last another like 80 minutes in the movie, which is just too much. This movie gets so ponderous because it's just the same sort of stuff again and again and again. And the kind of third thing that was the most difficult for me is that the movie is just way too long. This movie should be 80 minutes at most. It runs 20 minutes longer than that. I know that 90 minutes is the number that people are aiming for. It's just not realistic for the type of content that you have here to to, to expect it to sustain for that long, especially when it's just murder after murder. And I think that actually makes the movie sound more interesting than it actually is. But this movie is just way, way over long. I got to agree with you on this one, Doug. Um, I will say that I appreciate the feeling that, look, people came here for Santa's murdering people. So we want to make sure to give them what they want. Yeah. But doing it for so long without, I'll add, having that many cool kill ideas. Yeah. Ends up becoming tedious. And especially because what the movie then relies on feels to me like a siege movie in that there's battles between apparently our one capable character and his friend and the Santas. And a lot of these battles are not that interesting, unfortunately. But before we get too much into the critical things, I do want to ask you about one of the things that I think is a strength of the film. Mm -hmm. Doug, how creepy are people in Santa suits that you don't know? (laughs) I mean, it's funny, right? Because we've all... I mean, I shouldn't say we all, but if you have been uh, raised to celebrate Christmas uh, and you live in certain parts of the world where this occurs, you have probably sat next to or on a person that your family does not know dressed as Santa Claus. And if you think about that in the wider scheme, that's actually really strange. You don't know that person. I mean, I do think that movies have kind of leaned on the otherness of the Santa Claus performers to a really great extent for comedic effect, for horror effect, uh, for decades now. And I think that there is there is something there that uh, that works kind of subconsciously for people who experience that as a kid. Because there's so many photos of young children like screaming in terror and <laughs> trying to sit next to Santa Claus uh, for those photos. That said, in this particular movie, I don't know how effective it is, A, because... We don't know anything about these three characters except for the fact that they are quote-unquote psychopaths. So they just accost a mall Santa Claus and steal his clothes. And, you know, they don't look like Santa Claus, meaning that they, they're all thin and kind of gangly. And I guess that's supposed to make it more creepy. But to me, there's just way too much uh, hokiness from those characters. They're really like like playing it up and being all wacky and weird. And to me, that's so much less interesting than the setup which actually I thought is done pretty well, uh, you know, really competently acted. And the the concept of these homeless people getting together and finding a family within themselves, I actually feel like there's a lot of potential there and they almost do something with it, which is, again, why this movie is such a disappointment for me. It feels like with this location and with these performers that they could have made something good. Yeah, you're, you're hitting on a few different points here, Doug, that I think are important to talk about. Um, uh, I, because you ended with it, let's start there. Part of my frustration with this film was that there we don't spend quite enough time with these characters in the setup so that a lot of them are somewhat unfamiliar to us. And then we get to know them, uh, a few of them, in the film itself. And yet, because of the kind of movie this is, 
predictably, every time we start to see more of a character where we kind of get to know that character a little bit better, we know that character is going to die. That is just Mm -hmm. how the film works. Um, Am I too precious as a viewer, Doug? Because it bummed me out every single time. Right? (laughs) Did you feel that way? Because I I kept thinking, oh, actually, I kind of now see this character as more of a person. Well, let's see how they kill him off this time. It's a there's a reason that horror movies tended to uh, as violence became more prevalent that characters became less sympathetic I think in a lot of 80s horror movies is that it's depressing to watch people who have done nothing wrong and that I think you and I probably would be naturally sympathetic towards anyway just be slaughtered and not given even you know uh, a moment of of care about their deaths. Uh, to a great extent, outside of just being a gag or something like that. Yeah, to me, it, it, there's not much fun about that. This is also a movie that I feel like is very sympathetic to the concept of homelessness, but maybe thinks that it's being a little bit more messagey than it actually is. And I feel like that's really at odds with its uh, portrayal of mental illness, which is done as cartoonish as possible. Well, and that was the other thing I was going to say to you. I, 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 I want to disagree a little bit in that I think the image of people in Santa suits doing bad things is a little bit stronger than you suggested in this film. Like I think that in of itself could work. The problem though, that I do agree with you about is that they've done literally no character work for our psychopaths. In fact, you could say that the central attraction of this movie is the sentence. Wow. These guys are crazy. Look how crazy they are. Yeah, and that's absolutely. what fuels the entire film. So, uh, Doug, did you think our Santas were really crazy? And like, were you <laughs> amazed at how crazy they are? I mean, I, this is, comes, I think, from having worked on low-budget movies and having talked to a lot of low-budget filmmakers through my other podcasts and things like that, which is the idea of the three producers – being so in love with their wacky behavior as these psychopaths that they have to include as much of it as possible, I think is a real weak point to this movie. Right, right. That they probably think all those moments are the strongest points of the film. Absolutely. Instead of literally the worst parts of the movie. And not not in every case. There's a couple of moments where you're like, okay, they were meant to be menacing here and they are menacing. I would argue when they first show up in the big courtroom where everyone's having their party, they don't immediately start doing anything. That kind of works, you know? Absolutely. That's, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as the film goes on and they start to develop little things that they think are adding depth to their character, they're always stupid and corny and not cool. And, uh, well, so uh, th- this leads me to my other thing. We're, we're doing pretty good here going to, to each thing here <laughs> that I want to talk to you about. You described this movie as a siege film, right? Right. And I think that's not inaccurate, but I think it ends up becoming something that is similar but slightly different, a survival horror film. And I say that mm. because of this. I don't think any reasonable viewer has much hope in the success of any of these characters because the film doesn't really give them much opportunity to do anything cool. Yeah. In fact, our strongest character is regularly made to look stupid by these apparently immortal, brilliant, but also crazy Santa Clauses. <laughs> and so, you know, a siege film, you don't think that your main folks have a lot of hope, but you don't think that they're hopeless either. That's, you know, part of the thing about Assault on Precinct 13 is. Um, it's hopeless in its numbers, right? Like, there's just right. so many 
uh, uh, gangsters acting as zombies, basically, you know, gang members <laughs> yeah. acting as zombies, sure. that you don't believe they're going to make it because of that. But you do believe that they're at least a little bit badass to try. Right. There is Because, again, no... again I'm sorry to interrupt, Liam, but, yeah. you know, Assault on Precinct 13 is basically a remake of Real Bravo, which right. is the same sort of thing, right? Right. You have these three characters that are different levels of cool or badass or interesting, and you want, A, you want to see them survive, but also you think that, look, if the odds all turn one specific way and they get super lucky, then maybe they could eke out uh, a, a success here. But in this movie, most of the people that you're introduced to, you know are fodder right from the beginning. And it's so frustrating, especially because that inevitably puts all of the viewers' expectations and weight and really, like, the eye of the camera on these fucking Santa Clauses. Like, as much as I I love the murderous Santa as a trope, I love it. But <laughs> I, I really do. I really, really do. But the idea that these three fuckers in their Santa Claus are going to carry <laughs> this movie while we watch sympathetic but useless people get slaughtered is, like, not interesting. It, it makes a movie that is already a bit cruel seem even crueler without having the special effects for you to just enjoy a gore. Like, the, the people always complain about torture porn. You know, yeah. that's a thing that people bring up a lot when they don't like horror movies. And, and I don't think that's unfair. Those sorts of movies exist. But what a lot of those movies bring to the table are impressively horrifying special effects. You know, like, things that, like, it's not entertaining, but at least, you know, you're like, whoa, that was fucked up, whatever. This movie doesn't have creative violence in it. It just has violence. And so I'm not sure where our in is. We're watching sympathetic characters get hurt with no real care for their well-being. Our killers are not interesting or scary. Our heroes are only kind of cool. Like, they're, they're okay characters, and I like their performances, but I'm not really, like moved by them there's no there's no hero moment where they're like yeah you thought yeah. i was weak but i'm actually tough and uh i don't know what we're supposed to latch on to to make this movie compelling doug can you help me out here it's the thing is the concept is compelling right right, the, right. because especially because our lead character frank roland is supposed to be an ex-military guy who deserted and, and the suggestion is that he saw too much or he, he was uh has ptsd but this i is, think his you know, his child died is what he said his he, child he, well, died that, and he never that's got right. over it that's right, and his whole family fell apart. But I think that's supposed to be after he left the military. Uh, but the idea is that he has all of these skills that could be very useful in this situation and that he's going to take charge. And then if you write it as Killer Santa versus Rambo, basically, that's something that you could make something out of, that concept. And that's something you can sell as a concept. But he's just not very good. I mean, what yeah, I mean huh? is his performance is fine. But he's really ineffective in that role, and then he gets his arm basically, I guess, broken or or uh, dislocated. Uh, they dislocated dislocate his shoulder. That's and right. They dislocate his shoulder. So then he's he's even more kind of of uh, uh, hobbled by by a situation as it goes into the end of it, and he never gets those kind of badass moments. And the other issue with that. Is that this movie? I think is very competently directed for the most part, even though it's sure. very overlong. Every time it switches to action, like two people fighting, it gets super choppy. It feels like it's like one move and then cut and then another move and then cut. And it feels really um, cheap and lazy. 
when those moments happen. And that's when, if you're going to establish this character as being kind of a cool badass, that's when it has to excel, even though there's only a few of those moments in the movie. But I think it's the, that, those are the most awkward things that happen and the things that we uh, display. And if we instead saw this Frank character as being kind of a badass who is the one who's going to take control, even though that's very much a cliche, I feel like it would have been to the uh, movie's benefit. Yeah, I think that the, the the if there is a fear here of like we don't want to tread ground that other people have tread, having three psychopaths who barely put up with each other and torture innocent people is also at this point a cliche. So I yeah, don't think right. you know. Um, yeah, I you know I, I I guess you know I I I'm completely dropping any sort of kayfabe here because I'm supposed to be arguing for this movie, right? But um, I just think what could be a cool concept is really dropped because of certain weaknesses and i don't think the weaknesses are just the script though the script is part of it i think there's not really an effort towards impressive special effects so we have to work around that and there's also an inability to choreograph uh both choreograph action and film action so like even if there are no good special effects if there's good action of this guy fighting these weirdly tough Santa Clauses, that could be cool. And it, and, and I guess there's some feeling of, well, we don't want to have the movie end in the first 20 minutes. Yeah, sure, whatever. But there's ways to work around that. There are creative things you can do. And the film doesn't do any of those things. So <laughs> we, we get a movie with no real gore, but lots of violence, and no real action, but lots of violence. And that's and, weird. It's a weird and, thing. And and rubber heads that are thrown in yes, people's faces yes, and stuff like yes, that. Yeah, so yes. so they're a little too in love with the special effects that they do have. I yes. mean, look, this is a movie that has a, I think, an interesting, if not strong, concept with some really iffy execution. But here's my issue, though, Doug, and this is, I think, relevant to the sorts of movies we're covering, and that's this. Obviously, I love me a, a creepy Santa Claus. You know, like, that's a thing I like. Sure. Does this movie outside of the outfits of our killers benefit at all from being a Christmas specific horror film. You know, what's funny is that that opening segment where we see the psychopaths get the Christmas, uh, during the Santa Claus suits, it's, it does not seem to be filmed during, uh, winter at all. Like everything is green, everything that's around. Uh, there's a really little suggestion that this is a movie that takes place during Christmas at all outside of characters saying this is Christmas Eve. Now, some of the kills are Christmas-themed. We see, you know, people distracted by Christmas lights. The idea that these people have gotten together and having this kind of Christmas party, I think the most effective kind of creepy moment in this is when they're having this party and they're all kind of relaxed and celebrating with each other. And it's this moment of kind of triumph in what are obviously very difficult lives. And then you see these three characters just enter the room and you see them and they just start killing people indiscriminately, right? And to me, like, that... As, has a moment of kind of terrifying energy to it that the rest of the movie doesn't really have. And I so to that extent, the fact that it's the setup for this, it, it, it does benefit from it, but you could have a thousand different excuses for homeless people getting together and having a brief moment of celebration. and then Halloween, for example. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, that's the fact that it's interchangeable in t- terms of holidays. That's not uncommon for slasher-ish material, right? But I think there are – I don't think there's enough moments relying on Christmas for this to be very specifically a Christmas movie. Like I, I think you could argue that our first movie is a Christmas movie, right? Yes. And this movie 
just happens to be a Christmas movie. But even the the conceit of the Santa Claus uh, or the Santa Claus eye is a bit muddled because the masks that they're wearing are not that common as Santa outfits. I've never seen that shit before in my fucking life. Right. So it's not even like I see the outfits <laughs> and I go, yep, just like you always see. It'd be like arguing the masks, you know, or, or the disguises in like New Year's Evil. Like that's, well, everyone associates that with New Year's. Like, no, they don't. <laughs> you know, in the same way, like, yeah, they're wearing Santa outfits, but they're also wearing creepy old man masks that don't look anything like Santa Claus. <laughs> so that's weird. And I guess that might be common someplace, but I've never seen them before. Um, and, uh, you know, Really, the, for me, even the kills, it's just the dude with the candy cane, which is yeah. so lame. It's the yeah. lamest part of the movie. So yeah. I don't know. I, I just feel like, not that that's a huge mark against the film, but I just think if you're going to do a Christmas horror, there should be some effort to make Christmas matter in your horror movie. It's. I also think that uh, that we might be overstating the quality of the acting in it because this is a British movie. British people seem, I think, to me, more competent when they're speaking. I think that there's a, a suggestion that they may be better actors than they actually are. Though I, sure. I, I'm, I'm just joking a little bit. I actually think that generally everyone acquits themselves very professionally here as actors, which considering how obviously low budget it is, is kind of a surprise. Usually acting is where these things really kind of uh, let down the side in regards to this sort of stuff. So, But I, but I think you're you're right. This is not a Christmassy movie. Uh, and And... The idea of a Christmas horror movie, you know, when we think of the best ones, uh, whether it be like a Gremlins or or a Silent Night, Deadly Night or Christmas Evil, they really establish the Christmasness of things first. And snow is a big part of it, right? It's not just Christmas themed murders. It's Christmas. And that, you know, part of the horror is the idea that as we established at the beginning of the show, at a time that people are reflecting and even if it's a cliche and even if it's not true and are uh, embracing family and there's a sense of togetherness and love and compassion, that that is the time of the year where these people who are symbols of that love and compassion come out and murder a bunch of people. Well, and oftentimes they play off of, you know, this is something we've kind of lost touch with, but a ghost story at Christmas is actually part of the tradition, you know, again, because historically Christmas was a lot more about we're in the midst of the dead of winter when everyone dies. (laughs) It's like our one little bit of like hope against the darkness, you know? Um, And so uh, having something spooky at Christmas is very much in theme with a lot of Christmas traditions. But, What's I think very interesting about this film in comparison to the last film is that uh, it's not spooky, right? It's not it's not spooky. It's crazy people being killers. You know, it's it's yeah. not Christmas specific, and it could be. All of my thoughts about the ways that it could be are attached to these characters having more backstory, and that's just not what the film is particularly interested in. You know, other than just the basics of our one character's family life. No one else, and especially not our killers, because they don't even really exist in a way. Uh, no one has like that sort of character backstory. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. Well, we're at the part of the show, Doug, where we're supposed to place our films up against each other, you know, and, and we're supposed to <laughs> yeah. argue for a little bit of, you know, who has the better film. I just got to say, though, you know, it's Christmas, man, and I'm yeah. feeling. I'm feeling generous, and so I'm going to yeah. do the thing that you know I'm never supposed to do. I'm going to break kayfabe, oh. and I'm just going to go ahead and say, your movie's better, man. You win. That's it. Well, Done. I thought you were going to say, and this is what I was going to say, which is, you're right. It's a time for love and forgiveness, 
both movies are bad. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. Neither one of us wins. We both we as 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 a as a uh, the you know the classic band All Us Failed once said we both lose, and not only that, we both saw this coming. <laughs> Uh, if um, you want to check out either of these movies, you can check out, uh, sorry, you can watch A Christmas Horror Story on Amazon Prime if you have a subscription there. And Good Tidings is available on Tubi.tv to watch for free with ads. So they are out there. And if you watch them and you uh, disagree with our position on these movies, yeah, please let us know through our website. Uh, Liam, sorry, did, did you have some uh, some ending uh, words that you wanted to uh, to to give us here? No, yeah. All I wanted to say was uh, folks should head on over to Cinepunks.com, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, to check out this podcast as well as a whole family of podcasts. Some of them might also be doing holiday-themed shows, though maybe not. I don't know. I don't know what anyone's doing over there, but it's good. Uh, There's uh, as well as writing and and, uh, merch too uh not yet a cinema smorgasbord shirt though uh you know doug is just holding up the design process on that one guys but <laughs> we're gonna get it done we're gonna get it done um uh you, they can also head over to cinema smorgasbord.com to uh dive into the archive and and to get show specific maybe you prefer cinema fantastica maybe you prefer uh we do our own stunts maybe you're super stoked on praising kane you can find uh uh specific pages for those specific shows at cinema smorgasbord.com yeah why don't you leave us a review on itunes or wherever you get your podcast every little bit helps to support the show uh you can of course follow us on twitter at cinema smorg that's s-m-o-r-g you can follow liam on twitter at liam rules r-u-l-z or you can follow me on twitter doug underscore tilly that's t-i-l-l-e-y but liam as we come to the end of this episode and the end of our first year as hosts of Cinema Smorgasbord, I just want to say how much I appreciate both our audience and you as a co-host and how nice it's been to go down all of these different podcast paths. I know it's been a rocky road in terms of a year, but I'm glad that we've been able to handle some of it together. I think if you go back into our archives, you probably get a little bit more insight into our kind of home lives than you might expect in our opening segments. And it's... uh. I feel like as difficult as things as things have been, we're we're coming out the other end, uh, you know, still breathing, which is, I guess, all you can really hope for. I'll say this, Doug: it was a rough year, but there was nothing rough about doing cinema smorgasbord. This yeah. has been a joy from the beginning, even though you're involved in it, which is just I know. an amazing change of pace. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, occasionally it gets hard right about the times we do the Eric Roberts episodes, but otherwise, it's just been a joy from top to bottom. <laughs> Top to mostly bottom. So I guess with all that said, Liam, we should wish our listeners a very happy holidays. And I uh, also want to personally say that uh, I'm hoping next year will be better than the last Dakota County Crows song. Oh, I'm so glad you quoted County Crows. I was waiting for you to do that. That's so great. (laughs) Your favorite band. (laughs) I love them. Come a little girl, lemon latch, can't coast. That's the Black Crows doing a cover of Otis uh, Redding. I don't remember what it is. Oh my God, Liam! You're are you to be really the music a, guy? Wait, are you really a Counting Crows fan? Is that no? True? Of course uh, not. You know, Adam Durwitz doesn't even. Those aren't even his real dreads. They're extensions. Oh God! I can't believe you just came for that man's hair. Well, I, I mean, we it's already cultural appropriation, podcast. and it's not even appropriate appropriation. Yeah, I guess that's true. He's not like the. It's. Uh, uh, I don't really know much about that dude, other than <laughs> I know he dated two of the cast members of Friends. He, he did Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston. 
Oh, God, Jesus. Yeah, the 90s were a different time, folks. <laughs> Such a bummer. I'm bummed on all of this. Merry Christmas to all. And to all, all a good night. good night. Unless you don't celebrate Christmas, which is totally yeah. fine. Yeah, happy Hanukkah, killer Kwanzaa, whatever the fuck. It's fine. Yeah. Festivus, let's do it. Yeah, see you in the new year.